welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening everyone. I am Ritika Gupta, Assistant Director at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhavevam Niti Anusandhan Sansthan, Nai Delhi. Extend my heartiest welcome to you all to this Impri Hashtag Web Policy Talk. Today we are here for a special talk as part of the series, The State of Gender Equality, Hashtag Gender Gaps on Using Technology to Address Gender-Based Violence by Elsa Mary De Silva. I would now like to welcome our moderator, Ms. Anshula Mehta, who is Assistant Director at IMPRI, to introduce the speaker further. Thank you. Thank you, Ritika. Uh, good evening to everyone, and uh, I welcome you all to episode 28 in our Gender Gaps talk series. Uh, today, as Ritika pointed out, we have uh, Ms. Elsa Marie De Silva uh, speaking on using technology to address gender-based violence, and it's my pleasure to introduce her to you all. Uh, Elsa Marie De Silva is the founder of Red Dot Foundation India and president of Red Dot Foundation Global USA. Its platform, Safe City, crowdsources personal experiences of sexual violence and abuse in public spaces. Since Safe City started in December 2012, it has become the largest crowd map on the issue in India and abroad. She is a 2020 Gratitude Network Fellow, 2019 IWF Fellow, and a Regan Fassel Fellow a 2018 Yale World Fellow and an alumna of the Stanford Draper Hill Summer School, the US State Department's Fortune Mentoring Program, Oxford Chevening Gurukul, and the Duke of Edinburgh's Commonwealth Leadership Program. She co-founded the Gender Alliance, which is a cross-network initiative bringing together feminists from the BMW Foundation, Herbert Kwan's Responsible Leaders Network, the Global Diplomacy Lab, the Bosch Alumni Network, and Global Leadership Academy Community by GIZ. She is listed as one of BBC Hindi's 100 women and has won several awards, including Government of India Niti Aayog's Women Transforming India Award and the, Digi and the Digital Woman Award in Social Impact by She the People. In 2017, she was awarded the Global Leadership Award by Vital Voices in the presence of Secretary Hillary Clinton. She is a co-editor and author of The Demographic Dividend and the Power of Youth, published by Anthem Press on behalf of the German Federal Foreign Office's Global Diplomacy Lab. She has penned articles that have appeared in CNN, Huffington Post, WIP, amongst others. Prior to Safe City, she was in the aviation industry for 20 years, where she worked with Jet Airways and Kingfisher Airlines. Her last portfolio was Vice President Network Planning and Charters, where she oversaw the planning and implementation of 500 daily flights. Welcome, ma'am, and thank you for taking out the time to deliver this talk today. We have with us as well our chair for the session, uh, respected Professor Vibhuti Patil, uh, who is an eminent professor, a gender economist, and a women's rights activist. And she was formerly uh, a chair, the chairperson and a professor at the Advanced Center for Women's Studies at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences, TIS, Mumbai. And she was also professor and head of the Department of Economics at SNDT Women's University, Mumbai. Uh, thank you, ma'am, for joining us today. And we are also joined by two discussants uh, who will reflect on the uh, talk, uh, Dr. Sangeeta Datta Gupta, 
who is currently Associate Professor of Economics and Chairperson Center for Research at the Jagdish Shet uh, School of Management, which was formerly IFIM Business School. And we also have with us Ms. Riti Mandal, who is a Senior Program Manager at Safety Pin, uh, which is an organization working to make public spaces safe and more inclusive for women. So I welcome all uh, our participants uh, today, and I thank you all for taking out the time. Uh, with that, I hand it over to you, Professor Vibhuti Patel, to make your initial remarks and uh, then invite Ms. Elsamri for her presentation. Thank you. Um, Ma'am, you are on mute. So good evening, friends. First of all, I would like to express my hearty thanks to Dr. Arjun Kumar and uh, Ritika Gupta and Shula Mehta for giving me this opportunity to address the extremely important subject which we are facing over last month. Just now I have, I'm recovering from the shock of Zoom bombing for my previous valedictory lecture on care economy. And I think the, the way technology, first of all, technology is both we are using. And today's topic is about using technologies to address gender-based violence. And I think we have done it in a big way because ICTs are also being used by women's groups, students and youth organizations to build campaigns, uh, anti-rape campaigns after Nirbhaya tragedy, the wide use of Facebook and Twitter. We could, we could see in cities after cities, just one Twitter message and people would come out in protest. We have seen that working women, young adults, both boys and girls facing sexual advances, blackmail and threat of rape and murder. They have also used this. I remember when I was in Sophia Center for Women's Studies, a girl was using a, a stalker, was threatening girl of a murder and all that. And uh, when the police, uh, when she complained to the police, police say they, he had kept a collar tune of a bhajan, Ganpati bhajan, and the police says, oh, he's such a religious, pious man. How can he do that? And then we taught our girls that how to record anytime the stalker says nasty things. And next time when he rang up, the recording was done and it was submitted to the police and action was taken. And this is I'm talking of the year 2002. We have come a long way. Uh, so the students are using smartphone, mobiles, computers, laptops to access support from the community of peers to build evidence with audiovisual recording, take photographs to shoo away stalkers in my college when the girls were being uh, one stalker was flashing continuously girls started coming to college and we uh, and when and when we when we after a lot of probing they confided they did not tell their family members but at least to the teachers they said that they, they felt very embarrassed because this man in safari looked highly adequated and posh he was doing like that and we just said that there is nothing great about it just pretend to be taking picture with your mobile all of you have your mobile and next time when they when that man did behaved like that all the girls they took out and first of all they were moving in a group that's what we had told them that always move in a group uh, and they they took a pic they, they pretended to take a photograph and immediately that man ran away we have seen even in adolescent girls and boys in in, in vastis they are also making a very productive and uh, safe use of this kind of uh, technology uh, for, to raise awareness about gender-based violence among families and communities, and also monitor and evaluate interventions and measures, uh, measure their impact that to what extent they have been effective. So social isolation during COVID-19 induced lockdown has resulted in increasing incidences of cyber crimes against women and girls and lonely elderly, uh, women have also like been defrauded and cheated 
by withdrawal of all their cash deposited in the bank account, gender-based violence against LGBTQIA communities and persons with disabilities have escalated exponentially. Lessons of the boys' locker room, an ISTA group that was created by adolescent boys of elite educational institution, has made it imperative that sustained public education of girls and women parents and citizens uh, on nature, causes and consequences of cybercrime to change the misogynist mindset and toxic masculinity and the violent behavior in a cyberspace is ensured and National Commission for Women, State Commission for Women, colleges, they have also started the capacity building regarding explaining the types of online abuse, cybercrime, demystifying all the terminologies which I use, what is doxing and cyberbullying and trolling and zoom bombing and pylon and all that. And uh, they have also like to also talked about the, we are teaching the girls to how to safeguard oneself from online abuse and also offline abuse uh, and reporting the mechanisms for online abuse as well as how to approach the criminal justice system, cyber cell, and also reporting to the authorities about the online abuse. Various uh, complaint, uh, the Ministry of Women and Child Development have also come up with their own link which where we can, uh, I am a troll, uh, trolled help or uh, various helplines which they have created can be approached and comprehensive recommendations have also been given at a local level state level and uh, national level uh, to the uh, uh, concerned authorities ministry of women and child development so it is in this context that uh, this is the background in which we are debating uh, today's topic of uh, of, uh, of uh, use of uh, online internet in uh, combating addressing violence against women by Elsa Marie de Silva. And uh, I think she will enlighten us with her global experience. And also uh, she will, uh, we will get, we will be able to sharpen our tools to combat and address violence against women over to Elsa Marie de Silva. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Vibhuti. And thank you, Entry, for having me here today. Good evening to everyone. I'm Elsa and I'm based out of Mumbai, India. Uh, I'm just going to show you a short presentation of our work because it helps to visually see what I'm talking about. So I just want to say this is a wall mural that we painted with uh, young college girls outside Sapphire College in Mumbai where sexual harassment was a crime and that came out through the various uh, reports that were pinned on our site. But this wall mural came out from a discussion on the topic and what they wanted to do to solve it. So as you well know, this is a global statistic. It's a global pandemic where one in three women on an average experience some form of sexual assault at least once in their lifetime. And uh, the other statistic is more than half of these victims are girls and it happens before they turn 16. But in most cases, they're not reported to the police. And this is really the problem that we at Safe City are trying to focus, the under-reporting of this data. As you would have heard in, when my bio was announced, I used to be in the aviation sector and I was used to handling data to make business decisions. And in December 2012, when Jyoti Singh got gang raped, uh, that's when I tried to make sense of what was happening and try to understand the scale of the problem because I was in my aviation bubble at that time and I could not find statistics for India. I couldn't find statistics at my local level. 
And that got me thinking about, okay, how do I want to contribute towards being part of the solution? And along with my friends, I launched Safe City. But one of the big areas that I have found is that sexual violence and abuse is a spectrum. It starts with nonverbal at one end, which is staring, ogling, taking pictures, indecent gestures, uh, you know, masturbation in public spaces. There's also verbal commenting, catcalls, sexual invites, and then the physical touching, groping, stalking, sexual assault and rape. But often many people think that sexual assault is rape, you know, and they tend to ignore the other forms that are listed on the screen. And these are just some of them, you know, we are also, this is like in the physical world and Professor Vibhuti also spoke about the virtual world where some of these happen like trolling and stalking, but there's also many other forms of it. But if we don't see many of these things as a crime, we tend to normalize it. We tend to make it very difficult for a person who's experiencing it to speak up and share their experiences. And they definitely don't have the confidence to go to the police or any official authority to make that complaint. I sit and my team members sit on at least 25 sexual harassment uh, committees with corporates. And let me tell you that it's very, very hard for uh, women to speak up. And most often they make that complaint when they resign from the company which just tells you that the intention of the law was to make, create a safe space for reporting and also the investigation of that incident. But um, the way it is being used, uh, women actually resign and then put in that complaint. That tells us that they're not confident of speaking up whilst they are with that company. So what do we do at Safe City? We, are, we encourage, um, anonymous reporting of people's personal experiences of sexual and gender-based violence. This is then plotted and geotagged, shown on the map as stories. So all these bubbles with numbers on them correspond to stories that people have shared with us. And the idea is not only to crowdsource the data, but to make it available in the open source format so that it is out there for anyone to use at the individual level or the community level or the institutional level. Now, I come from the aviation industry, right? It's one of the most safest means of transport. But that is because there's a lot of investment that goes into towards building safety measures and also individual situational awareness. If you've taken a flight, you would have witnessed the demonstration that a the uh, crew do prior to every takeoff. That demonstration is actually to build the situational awareness of the people traveling on the plane because every plane is designed for evacuation within 90 seconds. No matter if it is a huge plane like a 380 or a tiny plane like an ATR, it depends on the number of exits and everything is designed for 90 second evacuation. But that is possible only if everyone is situationally aware. Now take when we as individuals experience sexual harassment, we freeze. There are three ways we can respond. We fight back, we flee from the scene or we freeze. Most often we freeze because we are taken by surprise. And then later we beat ourselves up emotionally saying that wasn't a great response. But if you had this information 
available to you, could you build your situational awareness? Could you then respond in different ways, not to avoid areas, but to deal with it and to respond quicker? And there are many responses to a particular incident. It's just that when you're taken by surprise, you don't know how to react. So what is the aim of our reporting platform is really to gather information that is stories and incidents, publish it in the open source format, and then study the patterns and trends by location and category. We last year took the opportunity during COVID to rebuild our whole platform to comply with GDPR, but also to create an empathy layer to aid in reporting. We also have advanced ways to protect the identity and privacy. And we've included a lot of nudge information so that people can access helplines and legal information that is linked to the category that they are reporting. And who are our target audiences? We have two, one is information seekers. So some of you who are on this call are researchers. You could use our data set like many have done before you to understand the problem better. But also there are people who are looking for help information. There are people looking at our um, map to educate themselves on what kind of crime is happening in their neighborhood or at a place that they wish to uh, visit. Take for example, TripAdvisor. A lot of us use peer review apps and TripAdvisor is one of them. As a person who travels solo for leisure and for business, I know Professor Vibhuti uh, told those girls that they should travel in groups, but often you may not have that opportunity. So if you have to travel alone, how do you still build your comfort level in responding to uncomfortable situations? Um, so that the information could aid you in that. Reporters for personal stories, but it's, you know, that's the first step in my opinion to seeking further help. And then, of course, those who are looking, uh, who want to report on behalf of others and looking for safety tips or adding to the safety tips. So this is how our new interface looks like. On the left-hand side, you have the crowd map. On the right-hand side, you have the individual stories. You can search by area. Right now, it's zoomed into Delhi. So you can see all these bubbles. And when we analyze these patterns, we find that actually across the city, the pattern of crime is very different. So Lalkua may be something, uh, Kurnat Place may have something else, Malvia Nagar may have something else, you know? And that is really how you can help. Uh, you can actually use that data. You can query the data by the category, you can query it by time of day, or, um, you know, any of these parameters. The help information is linked to the category. So for example, if I'm reporting stocking at the end of my uh, report, I will get a nudge for the IPC on stocking, the helplines that are available. And also uh, they can do a Google search for the hospital and the police station near them. And the idea is really to pick up what happened, the location, date, time, age, gender, and ethnicity or disability or sexual orientation to deep dive into why they experience that. We also have the ability for that person to report very voluntarily secondary information, which is separate from the primary form, so that we can understand the causation and correlation of why that incident occurred, the more information about the perpetrator or the bystanders, how did they react, and some information about the location and the incident context. Also, the safety tips are similar. So 
we want to encourage people to report you know what has worked for them what action they've taken etc ours is a low cost low tech solution and what we found is that you can't just put a piece of tech out there it has to be complemented with a lot of uh, you know in person interaction so we do a lot of workshops helping people understand the spectrum of abuse their rights how they can use safe city as a platform if they don't want to go down the formal route of making a complaint or even if they made a formal complaint how this data can still help them because it's so granular at the local local neighborhood level and we encourage simple individual action but also can they use that data to engage their communities to make that change whilst also driving for institutional accountability with the police or civic authorities so some of the examples are you know like i said can individuals make better choices for their own safety if you look at the data for delhi along the metro lines nehru place being the hub for the metro i'm talking of pre covid was very crowded and under the guise of crowded spaces perpetrators have a comfort zone to you know touch you comment stalk you whatever but if you take the next station which is um i think i'm forgetting i think it's kalyani nagar or um, something in k but that metro station has hardly any reports so if somebody like me from mumbai who's traveling to delhi does not really want to get off at nehru place i may choose another option it might be a longer walk or a little longer auto ride which is the last mile connectivity but um it is in my view something that i would be comfortable with or for example the mumbai data a lot of it is along the railway lines and kurla for some reason keeps coming up and kurla is a rail hub now and what comes up over there is groping so maybe i'm prepared i know that somebody is going to grope me and i'm prepared and i will react faster to hold that hand and maybe twist it you know or some people carry safety pins uh where you just poke that person now all this you will say should not be our daily worry but the reality is it is right so till the authorities fix this infrastructure and fix the situation whilst we do a lot of gender sensitivity workshops on a day to day basis you still have to live your life and what we are trying to do is give you that information which you can build on your own situational awareness for better uh, and quicker responses communities we have used this very uh, effectively in many different communities in different parts of india but also in uh, kenya nepal cameroon etc and we've also used it in rural areas now just the fact that they have access to this data makes these women and girls build their confidence to respond and we found that art and the first picture with the individual is really this girl painting staring eyes so we've seen wherever we've had hot spots if you put a wall mural and we call them talking walls it has a great impact because you're in a way putting the community on notice to say hey listen there's a problem over here and the wall actually talks about the problem but on another level those women 
and especially in this particular location, they were illiterate. They never challenged possibly the perpetrator, but through the wall, they are painting all these things with subtle messaging like, look with your heart, not with your eyes. We won't be intimidated by your gaze. We will speak up, we will break our silence. And it was so effective to put the community on notice that actually it reduced the staring, the loitering. In fact, when a journalist went to check on what was the reaction, the tea stall owner. So this was near a tea stall where, as you know, it's a male only space, men would hang out, uh, you know, loiter over there and intimidate the women and girls with their constant male gaze and also their commenting. But when, after this wall mural, when the journalist went and asked the tea stall owner, he said, I tell them to move on. I don't allow this loitering to, uh, you know, happen. And we've seen the same happen uh, outside Sophia College. In fact, the wall murals were even put up outside public toilets. They were very effective in getting the community to fix the broken infrastructure like toilets, uh, the doors and windows of the toilets and lighting. Now lighting and safety pin is here. So they'll also tell you that lighting is one of the big things which uh, you know contributes to the perception of whether a place is safe or unsafe. And when it's dark, um, a lot of families also prevent the girls from going out. And to me, that is really, um, you know, uh, a problem that we really need to shift our mindsets on. Because coming again from the corporate sector, when does networking happen? Or when I did my uh, higher, you know, like my post-graduation, it was all after office hours. And if a woman or a girl is restricted from accessing a public space, throughout the day or even at the night, she has limited opportunities. Limited opportunities to educate herself or to move upward in her career or even to take a better job. So lighting plays one of those roles. And then what's the role of institutions? Can they use this data to work with the community to find local solutions? Can they build trust between communities? We have found that this actually helps communities have conversations with uh, the police, with the civic authorities, even with the railway authorities, and you can push for change. And with the data out in the public domain as open source, these uh, institutional st stakeholders also on their own, uh, you know, are compelled to do stuff. So how have we used the data? I've said police, school and college administration before COVID, with the Canadian uh, High Commission, we did a project in Maharashtra across 20 college campuses, Mumbai, Pune, and in Satara. And many of these colleges uh, didn't even have sexual harassment policies. But post that, they had it. There was an audit done on their campus. They started conversations with their students. But amongst the students, too, there was a lot of conversation happening. And then with the elected representatives, communities can ask them for budgets. You know, our elected representatives love putting CCTV cameras everywhere. In this one community, they were able to pinpoint where they wanted the CCTV cameras. So um, I'm not saying that CCTV cameras are the solution, but if that is going to be the solution, then at least you ha should have a say in where do they go, you know? And then of course, in Malaysia, for example, they are collecting data to push for legislative change. In Cameroon, for example, there are no laws. So they are using the data there as well. And really it's to help you 
this data helps you have a deeper discussion on gender, sexuality, sexual violence, which are all taboo topics, and there are not many safe spaces to talk about it. Of course, discussion on the local statistics and how it uh, affects each one, and then to use it to organize and mobilize communities for that localized change. And ours is very, very local. So at every place, the solutions are different and we leave it to the community to decide how they really want to use that data to bring about the change. So some of the visualizations that we are now working on and uh, you know we've tried to show because not everybody can understand what a crowd map is. So trying to break it down in different visual formats by time of day, day of week, categories, or even by location to tell you where are these happening so that you can uh, start to think about what are the solutions. And our model is empower the individual really to take that action or engage his or her community uh, to bring about that change. So where are we right now after almost eight and a half years? We have ni uh, almost 19,000 reports uh, and we have 10 country chapters in different countries. We've used the data to engage 750,000 citizens. We've trained over 30,000 people in gender sensitization and understanding this methodology of ours. We've also trained 500 youth leaders on college campuses, and we are very active on social media. So those are our coordinates. Do get in touch. We also have a missed call. Like I said, you can't just put technology out there. So there are multiple ways for people to report. There's the web app, the apps on Android and iOS. We have a missed call. We also put boxes, which we call talking boxes in communities where people can put little notes and that is digitized. And the idea is to um, you know, not let technology be the barrier to reporting, but really the enabler to understand what is happening, have that conversation in your own neighborhood and make that change happen using the data. So thank you. Yeah. I think thank you, Elsa, uh, for a technophobe like me. Uh, I think I, I must have understood half of your thing about the technology part, but I think ideology part is very, very important. And I think both of, uh, and we need more and more capacity building exercises. And uh, I think now I uh, request discussions to give their response. Yeah. Right. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Ms. Elsamari, for such a, a great presentation. Um, so we have our first discussant, uh, Dr. Sangeeta Datta Gupta. Uh, who is uh, Associate Professor Economics at the Jagdish Seed School of Management. Ma'am, over to you. Uh, Ma'am, please unmute you. Uh, good evening to all. And uh, thank you, Impri, for inviting me to be a discussant. And it's extremely relevant and important topic. And uh, thank you, uh, Miss Elsa, for a wonderful presentation. So, uh, now, uh, gender-based violence, of course, uh, you know, it's a, if you talk about gender-based violence, it's a, it's a cause of great concern. And it's, a, it's basically a violation of human rights and it's not confined to any particular uh, geographical location, uh, you know, urban or rural area or to any specific uh, caste, creed or religion. Uh, so um, 
and and uh, miss elsa actually mentioned about certain innovative ways to protect women from uh, sexual violence um and uh, uh, and ict actually is playing and can play an important role uh, to protect women from violence sexual violence uh, it can help in uh, mapping data uh, mapping violence gathering data and that data can be used for change which uh, um, elsa was uh, talking about and uh, it can also provide uh, support and information to the survivors to women so uh, ict can be very very effective uh, you know, to address this gender based violence uh, but i have just one point i would like to add because i have been working with uh, rural micro entrepreneurs and my uh, i've just published uh, something uh, which is about the technology adoption for women and um, uh, leading to entrepreneurial orientation so while the smartphones are all uh, i mean very effective in the cities but in the rural areas where there is a, a, is a lack of access to the device itself so probably uh, going forward we need to think about ways how we can because sexual uh, violence gender based violence is rampant in the rural areas as well it's not confined to cities when i uh, so uh, how to address those problems because marginalized women they don't have access to um, a uh, a smartphone and sometimes they are not literate they don't even know how to use it uh, so those are the things which we uh, can address but of course uh, we uh, like uh, like uh, elsa and others they are doing wonderful uh, things uh, to help women and uh, it's a step in the right direction and uh, uh, going forward i'm sure that we'll be able to uh, penetrate that also and help the marginalized women and the rural and the women in the rural areas as well so um, thank you once again and um, it's, an, it's an extremely good presentation and uh, lots of information and insights for all of us thank you um thank you dr gupta uh, next we have uh, mr riti mandal who is uh, a senior program manager at uh, safety pen uh, ma'am over to you Good evening, everyone, um, and uh, thank you, Impri, for inviting me as a discussant. Um, Elsa, as always, thank you for your lovely presentation, and Sangeeta for your inputs. Um, so, I I think one of the key things in in understanding, you know, violence in public space or harassment in public spaces, is data. lot of time we are not able to understand the nature of the problem because there is not enough information available and also there is not enough spatial information available like what elsa is doing through her app is like uh, is like actually locating the information in the place and to that adding to that we, we i me also as an architect and an urban designer and as a spatial kind of a person i i i do understand that and that the built environment has a lot to do with how um, harassment in public spaces or violence in public spaces takes part the built environment actually creates opportunities for people to commit those crimes or harassment in public spaces and the nature of the built environment is not only you know bricks and buildings and infrastructure and all of that but how people kind of operate and behave in those places is the other thing which also the built environment kind of gives you the clue to be like that 
since the December 16th case was kind of brought forward. And what we also do in Safety Pin is to basically map the built environment or the you know features of the built environment which creates opportunities of crime or violence or you know safe access to places since like i'm saying since the december 16th case was kind of discussed um, if suppose last mile connectivity was robust in our city if the girl was able to take a safe convenient, you know, a reliable public transport, she may not have taken that bus. Yes. If the city was designed in a certain way that you could go to place A to place B and be seen by everyone, like, like we talk about eyes on the street where, you know, there is enough activity on the street and people can see what's going on in the city, then probably she would not have faced what she did. Um, similarly, like all of this, like street lighting, like uh, what we map in Safety Pin, some of the key features is obviously seat lighting. And like Elsa had already elaborated in that, that it, it, if, if the place is dark, obviously nobody will step. Leave alone women, even men will think, you know, twice about stepping in that area. So street lighting is crucial. But similarly, access to public space is also crucial in, in, in women's access to, to all other opportunities and resources in the city. So when you, when you, one is obviously safe access, but it's indirectly linked to other accesses in the city. Like if I have to go to study and if I can, you know, safely go up to a place which is a little away from my home, but I can safely go there, then my parents will allow me because otherwise, or, or maybe I will feel safe to go there. So similarly, lots of women's access to opportunities are being curbed because the city, the built environment of the city does not support it. So through, I think, infrastructure, through how cities are, you know, in terms of activity and planning, how cities are planned, that is a crucial thing. And which is what we kind of map as through Safety Pin. So Safety Pin is basically a tool which kind of gives you helps you to map the city for in these different layers. It also gives uh, the user, you know, um, a, a tool to kind of give their opinion about the public space they're using. So through the My Safety Pin application, you can actually audit a place through all these uh, parameters which we have. Say, say whether transport is accessible, whether you can walk on it, whether there is street light there, whether enough people are there, whether enough women and children are using that space. So I guess this, all of this is information. And all of this information, if it can be made available on your fingertip, in your phone, and be kind of be used and analyzed to understand the city better. Obviously, we are making a progress into this, this uh, issue we are trying to deal with in terms of violence and harassment in public spaces. But I agree completely with Samhita that digital divide is a big thing which also we need to understand, especially in a developing country like ours, that not everyone has an access to public, uh, has access to a smartphone which can do all of that. So I guess advocacy, sensitization, all the other programs, which all have to come together to address the issue is important. Thank you. Uh, 
thank you, ma'am, for your insightful comments. Um, Professor Vibhuti Patel, would you like to add your comments at this yeah. point? Or I think, yeah, you, at yeah. this, uh, what uh, Dr. Sangeeta Dutta Gupta and Riti said, I would like to uh, also say that only technology is not enough. We need to have, uh, as you said, that in safe city discourse, uh, what ecosystem and what kind of uh, uh, the, what built environment is there. Like in Bombay, that's what we found after Shakti Mill rape case. There were 400 unsafe places and the NSS students, Akshara and Bombay police worked together that uh, under construction uh, buildings, they were the major places where, which were very threatening to ordinary citizens, lonely people, uh, uh, and also women uh, and young girls who were going to uh, school or who were lonely, uh, they, they were attacked by them. So I think very important. Another thing is that this kind of, uh, during 80s, uh, we used to also organize SRT-based training program because as she, uh, Elsa very rightly said that you freeze, flee, or fight. These are the three responses. So we used to say how to fight back, you know, uh, and uh, so many workshops and training programs were organized in schools and colleges and even for the working women by the trade union and also by the working women's associations, which were formed in various service sectors. So they were also like assertiveness training. It all started with the nurses because the nurses were the ones who were facing very um, uh, a lot of attacks, uh, especially in the five-star hospitals and all. Well, all these tourists would come uh, and when they did not, in those days we did not have many five-star hotels. So those who did not get in Taj and Oberoi, they would check into these luxury hospitals and uh, nurses were facing tremendous uh, problem and it all started with mobilization of them. So how to use your lung power, how to use your tongue power, power of language. I think that is also very important. Like when I joined Sophia in 2002, in six months, we launched some 10 courses. And in that also, we said that uh, even courses on counseling. So similarly, if Elsa can also come up with a course where both technology and beyond technology, what can be done, no? the capacity building courses, uh, and if the training module is created, then it will be use, useful across the line because even World Bank has said that in 21st century, the major occupational hazard is gender-based violence and the sexual assault. Women are entering uh, all uh, uh, sectors of the economy and male anxiety is creating this kind of backlash of violence. So I think it's very important that the work, which such a valuable work that you are doing, it just doesn't remain among young women. But even so many elderly, currently the, in last three days, we have got three cases of murder of elderly women. Why couldn't they, they, they could not, and all of them were lonely elderly women. How can we empower them with uh, both technology, that the fear of technology, how to uh, overcome that, and also what kind of other support systems that can be created. You are perfectly right that every time you don't, our slogan in the 80s was, there is a women united will never be defeated and there is strength in number. But currently the life we have, so many times we are alone and how can we combat that? So I think that I find very important that we, technology, yes, it is there to aid us, but at the same time we have to have, there is nothing as powerful as social solidarity. So reaching out to each other and also the whole town planning 
uh, as you said, eyes on the street, very, very important. In Bangalore, they have tried that. The areas which are most dangerous in terms of uh, assault on children, assault on elderly, assault on young women, those areas when the elderly people started sit, uh, coming out on the footpath and whole evening, four, five hours, they used to sit, chat, have tea, and there's a lot of activities were happening, then those areas became safe. So there is an alternative, and I think uh, your experience can be really, it needs to be amplified. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, we also have Ishika here with a question. Ishika Chaudhary. She is a researcher at IMPRI and a bachelor student at the Lady Sri Ram College for Women, New Delhi. Over to you, Ishika. So thank you, ma'am, for such an insightful session. I really appreciate the work you are doing. So ma'am, my question, my first question is that, like, ma'am, when we talk about community engagement, so ma'am, we know that the community of India still questions a woman's choices, like when she is being raped, like why you were out at that point of time, why were you dressing in that way? So ma'am, I wanted to ask like how you engage the community in that sense. And my second question is that ma'am, when you talked about institutional accountability. So ma'am, recently a Bombay High Court judge said that when you group a woman without skin to skin contact, it doesn't count it as sexual harassment which is a statement which uh, really uh, bothers me. And ma'am, uh, two days before only, uh, the Supreme Court judge said uh, a man, a rapist, to marry uh, the woman he has raped. So ma'am, these judgments really made me wonder, like, where are institutions are going and uh, like what kind of judgments they are saying. So ma'am, my second question is this. And ma'am, my third question is that being a college-going student, ma'am, I take metro metros and use public transport daily. So ma'am, as you talked about like those staring eyes and uh, inappropriate touching in metros happen really frequently metros. So ma'am, I remember one day when I was taking metro and I was also harassed by a boy. So ma'am, when I came back to my home, my daddy asked me like, you were looking beautiful that day and probably you should uh, dress in a more appropriate way so that uh, a boy doesn't harass you because when you look attractive, you're just invited. So ma'am, like these questions really made me wonder like what are our norms and uh, what we really want from girls? Like we just uh, like pay, pays the whole onus on their shoulders. Like you have to be this way. You have to dress in a particular manner. You have to be out on a particular time. You should be careful. You don't do that this. So ma'am, I just wanted to ask like how you deal with these questions. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah. So, is it addressed to me? Okay. Yes. So, uh, over to you, Miss um, Elsamari, to respond to these comments okay. and questions. So, you know, it boils down to um, the patriarchy that is steeped in all our minds, whether we are men, women, whether we are the CGAI or the High Court judge or the parent or the elder in the community, right? And we are all at different levels in our understanding and our sensitivity, which is why they, there needs to be a lot of education. So when I first started, I launched the crowd map, but I quickly realized that you can't just put technology out there. You know, like what, what's the point of the technology? People don't even know what happened to them is actually inappropriate uh, and under Indian law a crime. 
so which is how we started doing all these workshops and the workshops are really going back to you know simple basics like you know what is sex what is gender what is sexuality and what are these harmful stereotypes and how what are the examples in your day to day life exactly what you said you know and how it um, restricts one gender from truly exploring all the opportunities that are available out there now one session is never going to solve the problem but when you create a space where this conversation can become a regular conversation then it builds the confidence of the young people or even the older women out there or whoever to start engaging and if you take a confrontational approach it doesn't work i'm also a rotary peace fellow so i am i take the preventive approach you know and i believe in restorative justice as well so in our communities you know we use the data and the stories to bring about empathy when the young men who are staring or commenting no one has told them that probably nobody has told them that that's incorrect right probably it was never covered in their school curriculum so to expect somebody to know that what he is doing is incorrect is like really you know it's a hard ask or he is modeling what he's seeing he is modeling what he's seeing in films in ads and people around him maybe his father is doing it maybe his uncles are doing it maybe the people he admires are doing it and that's what he thinks is okay so when you start having these conversations and the way we do we work in communities is we don't we don't work directly in communities we partner with a with an ngo who already works there maybe they don't work on this specific topic that we do so we become their more likely partner because we come in with that niche area that we are working with they already have trust so whatever constituency they work with it could be girls or it could be women we first work with that community and then we slowly expand that circle to include the men and boys in their community and that's very interesting because when the men and boys are included and they realize that what they are doing is incorrect or even take for example our data analysts most of them are i would say 50% are men young men when they start analyzing the data and they read these stories for them they've never heard them right because of the silence around it so for the first time they are i mean for the first time they are kind of actively listening to the stories or reading the stories and trying to make sense of them and to that and i find that is a very enlightening process for themselves as individuals many of them have told me how you know their understanding has changed so for, i'll give you an example our data analyst the first time you know we we he had he analyzed the data he said this data set is all wrong and i said why do you think it's wrong and he says well the peak is around noon so i said and what's wrong with that and he said the peak of these incidents should be in the night in the dark doesn't sexual harassment happen in the dark 
And I said to him, but we are mapping in public spaces. And this is the time when women are in public spaces. When, they are when it's dark, they are at home. And that's a different kind of violence. At that time, we weren't mapping domestic violence. So I, he didn't even realize that there is a difference. you know. And so when you think of the, the high court judge, or you think of the CGI, or you think of the urban planner, or the government official, we assume they know these things, but they are not planning for it. They are not taking into account women's lived experiences. And that is how this data set works. You know, often I've been asked like, but what do you do for that one individual woman who reports? And I tell them that ours is an anonymous reporting site. So that woman who's reporting knows it's anonymous. She's not really expecting something directly to happen in her case. But what her story is doing is it's going into a data set and then we are analyzing the trends and patterns in that data set and then trying to change that system or that community or your individual mindset so that you can make that change for everybody. You know, and it doesn't matter if the incident happened today or yesterday or six months back or six years ago. We want to know because if it wasn't documented in effect, it didn't happen. Your experience didn't happen. There's no proof it happened. And not that the police are going to directly act on your individual case because we are not asking you who you are or who the perpetrator is either. So it's hard to solve that individual case, but we are definitely trying to collect more information because it's not available on helping us understand the context in which this crime happens. And I would recommend you all read that paper by Girija Borkar, where she's, she's used safe, safety pins data as well as safe city data to understand how sexual harassment affect the young women in Delhi. And she says that they compromise on the quality of their education because they may choose colleges and institutions closer to home they may that's because they don't want to travel by public transport or public transport may not be available and the second thing is that there is a cost to even public transport or transportation choices because they uh, spend about on an average 250 dollars a year or 290 dollars a year which is almost a starting salary of somebody uh, you know i mean a month salary of somebody starting out so they drop out of the workforce, they drop out of education, and they also compromise on uh, their options. So, and that's reflected in the labor force, right? India has a very low uh, participation of women in the labor force. So everything is linked, but how do you prove it if you don't have the data, you know? And that's really why I think what we are doing at Safe City is really uh, important and it adds a lot more knowledge to what everybody else is trying to also do. I hope I've answered your three questions. But I think McKinsey report has also brought in four factors for declining work participation. And the fourth one is a safety issue, especially mobility. That is, a, it's a elderly care, child care, automation, and the new technology which is entering so women are replaced. But safety, after 2013, the drastic decline from 34% to 27% happened in four years' time. That also because the, the, it's a major macro-level study, and we say safety issues, and especially mobile. Even Disha study is showing the same, UNDP study on the skill mission, that even women who are after getting the skills, 
why aren't they getting if the, the distance between the home and workplace is very high and they have, they have to change two three buses and all then the harassment to the street and travel uh, insecurity of travel that is Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Silva and Professor Patel for your response and such pertinent points. Uh, we will go once again to uh, all our panelists, but before that, I will just read out some of the comments and questions that have come up from the audience. Uh, so some of the comments uh, that are coming in are, uh, such as police officials do not register complaints, we need to empower them as well. Uh, what if anonymous complaints are fake? Do you have a filter and what do you do with these complaints? Um, even aviation is not safe. We have seen how men inappropriately touch female co-flyers. Um, till when uh, will women make adjustments to such nuisance? Uh, the mindset of men that objectifies women's bans, education, incomes, lifestyle, etc. cetera. Um, yes, and then of course, Soma KP ma'am has said that solidarity is imperative. Uh, technology yeah. gives information to strengthen our strategies and outreach. Uh, technology also influences mindsets uh, with the kind of misogynistic messaging that is perpetuated. Uh, these are some of uh, the, uh, the comments and some of the questions uh, that have come up. Um, uh, one from Shalu Kumari is that how can we empower uh, boys to not misuse technology to put, uh, to put women in a bad light? I think we have done enough to teach our girls to do this and not do that, but we need to teach our boys to do this and not do that, your views. Um, she also asked, you're mentioning showing pornography as a way of sexual violence, should it not be banned outright? We should be a zero tolerant society for any incident of sexual violence. From which country can we learn? What are the lessons, uh, I guess, from conservative and authoritarian governments? <laughs> Share your views on that. Um, uh, then uh, someone has added to what uh, a point that Dr. Dutta Gupta has brought up that they would like to point out that the stigma associated with usage of mobile phones by women and this uh, this for, just restricts uh, their ownership of a mobile phone, making it impossible in some parts for women to use technology. So maybe you could share your views on that as well. And then some more questions. Um, we like, can't we develop a technology to educate men and patriarchal women to know that skin showing does not give them right to stare and touch. Um, apps should be developed to help their mentality. Um, yes, I, then there are some more comments resonating um, the same views. Uh, I believe parents should also be told how to teach their male child uh, to be chivalrous. Um, yes, and of course, um, uh, sex is not talked about at home. Uh, no one is taught about good or bad touch except only uh, uh, you know, an isolated workshop happening in school for one day. Uh, school curriculum should have sex, sexual education as an additional subject, if not main. Uh, and families uh, should be uh, aware of how to teach their girls and boys to react in different situations, which involves exploitation. So a bunch of uh, comments and questions coming in. So these can be kept in mind uh, as our panelists and speaker respond in this next round. Uh, so we will go once again to uh, Dr. Sangeeta Datta Gupta and then uh, Ms. Riti Mandra. Uh, so uh, would you like me to uh answer that particular question about the technology? Yes, ma'am, I think it was addressed to you, yes. Um, yeah, I uh, agree with you. And uh, I'll just share my experience because I have 
worked with them and I found out that when they're using technology, it was not about gender-based violence, it was about using technology for the, uh, expanding their own business. And uh, I found out that uh, uh, those who are using it effectively, you know, uh, either uh, uh, displaying their products on WhatsApp or getting connected to uh, suppliers, um, you know, they were actually they were able to expand their business. And also, you know, because uh, sometimes the social norms are such that uh, in rural areas, you're not allowed to talk to the strangers. So that was also taken care of because they had the smartphone and all that. So yes, you're uh, right, but uh, uh, what we found out, what are the challenges? If there's one smartphone, it's usually in the male member having that smartphone and the women not having access to it, not even phone or smartphone. So that is uh, one challenge uh, and we try to find, uh, and of course, uh, uh, many of them were not literate, so they did not know how to use it. And um, there's, uh, as uh, you rightly pointed out, that is uh, some sort of stigma associated that it was using a smartphone, probably something to do with the character or something like that. So those things are also there. Uh, but uh, what we found out through our uh, uh, survey and all that is that women, they're open to use smartphones, they want to use, and if they're trained, you know, uh, and they, they have access and they are actually using it better than men to, ex, uh, to expand their business and all that. Because if you go by the self-help group or statistics, you know, the repayment is, uh, if it's, it's a 99% repayment, if it's the women when they take loans. So actually they're using it better. So uh, uh, that's what I was trying to, uh, you know, put forward that is that yes, uh, if the technology, it, not just in the cities and uh, even in the rural areas also, this can be very, very effective because uh, women have started understanding the, you know, uh, uh, importance and the usefulness of having a smartphone, having access to technology that they have started understanding. And uh, some women we have tracked over a period of say um, four years and we found out with two, uh, it started with two, uh, women and right now they're employing 150 that means they're also creating employment for others and one more thing which is very very important once they start earning you know in many cases sexual violence as um, uh, miss elsa was also pointing out something uh, you know they don't it's not reported so and in the rural areas it's you know it's very difficult to actually uh, raise your voice against the sexual violence but uh, um, it's even more difficult it's difficult for it's everywhere but in the rural areas even more difficult but if the women are empowered in terms of like uh, if they're earning and if they're actually um, you know uh, if the income has gone up then in that case they're actually in a position to raise their voice against a lot of things and domestic violence alcoholism and all that and against sexual violence as well I may add to that, it's like, um, it's very true, the digital divide is really deep, and especially in the rural areas. So, so if the smartphone, they cannot reach the smartphone, the smartphone can reach them. You know, I can put it like this. So what we do through one of our programs is like, because so many women cannot use smartphones or do not have access to a smartphone or do not have the digital literacy to use the smartphone. We do a workshop, which is something called like Safety Chopal, which is basically a, a, you know, a sensitization program, which we take the phones to them and teach them about the built environment and how do you really look and understand the built environment, which can pose as a threat to you? 
So because if and we kind of run a whole workshop and a program around it, saying that you know street lighting, what it does, okay, or you know if you don't have access to public transport, how are your choices limited? Or if you cannot walk in the pavement, you know, if you are kind of or cannot access a certain locality because there are not enough people in there, or how the locality is kind of used because probably the land use around that locality is kind of not conducive for public use you know so things like that all those information is shared with them and smartphones are given to them to record or you know get their own information recorded as a as a crowdsourced data so that could be one way of doing it like i mean it could be a part of an advocacy sensitization program but that could be one way of doing it and similarly, a lot of kind of interventions and approaches like this can, like I was saying, join hands together to do it. Like Elsa had given an example, a beautiful example of doing a mural. I also know an artist in Delhi who had done it very effectively. And it was a similar approach, like doing a mural around a chai stall to kind of also inform the men that, you know, what happens around the tea stall or what happens around the male dominated area. You know, it's a tea stall somewhere in Gurgaon. It's a different story altogether. It's tekas everywhere. Okay. So, and the tekas are actually in the green belt. So the road, the footpath, the green belt, the tekas sit right in the green belt and it becomes impossible for people to cross that area, especially women and children to cross that area because it's dominated by men and you would not want to go there. But if the built environment is such that, you know, there are enough people around it, there is transport stops around it, there are shopping around it, and it's part of a larger development, then obviously that does not pose as a threat. So all this information or all this understanding of the built environment has to be shared with people, has to be kind of through different programs and platforms has to be shared with people. And also locating the stories, like it's a, it's like I told before as well, that these, what does the technology really do? It's not really, it is for the women. It is for, you know, and, and whoever is kind of giving this crowdsource information in there, whether it's a safe city app or a safety pin app is anonymously doing it. I mean, in safety pin, you can put in a name, but you can also kind of not give that information. And it's not necessary that every time it is a woman putting that information. Suppose it's a male member whose friend has been whatever and the friend doesn't want to do it and the woman and the man does it or somebody else does it. So it also gives visibility or understanding at least to the people who are, let's say, digitally literate and they would want to explore different kinds of applications. It actually opens the door to everyone, even though it is kind of collectively looking at a certain information about women and safety and violence in public spaces. So, yeah, so I, I mean, it's unfair to look at technology only because the app is kind of directed towards that. That's obviously its objective. But in the larger spectrum, it does kind of gives more visibility, access, etc., to to other people as well and, and uh, raises awareness about around it. Yeah, thank you. Can I add? So technology, like Rithi said, you know, is just the enabler. It um, And yes, the digital divide is really there. Even in urban spaces, I think women just don't do have time 
to use her mobile phone for anything other than a call or WhatsApp. Uh, and that statistic is, you know, women do five and a half hours domestic care work more than their spouse. So that will tell you that there's absolutely little time in the day for any pleasure or any browsing or whatever. Anyway, uh, having said that, you know, I think in rural areas, what we've done is identified who has the mobile phone or who has the technology and can they digitize the stories, you know, because what for us is more important is does the community have an insight as to what is happening there and do they have access to the data and and fake reports. So the way it works is somebody logs a report on our site and somebody has to review it at the back end. Now, because these are anonymous, you don't know whether it is true or not. That's crowdsourced data. You don't know, you know, but we look at trends and patterns and for something to be false, it ha the whole trend and pattern has to be false. You don't go for outliers. Having said that, because I've been reviewing all these reports, I know uh, you can make out the if it is you know fake because it's kind of the language that is used when somebody expresses it, and we have had in the past uh, you know somebody who it appeared to have had mental health problems because he was taking I I'm saying he I don't know who it was but the person reporting was taking um, names of you know, who had harassed. And it, at that time, now I, we can't check IP addresses, but in our previous version of the Safe City platform, you could check IP addresses and it all came from the same IP address, you know? So then it was an anonymous report. So we put it out on social media saying, we've been getting a bunch of reports on a particular theme. If somebody wants to reach us, this is our email or contact number, but the report stopped, you know? And whilst we say that ours is crowdsourced, I would say 90% of our reports come where we have face-to-face -face interactions or some kind of on-ground activity happening. So you kind of know where it's coming from. Uh, that's how I would say that we use the data. And as for aviation being unsafe, where people are groping you on the plane, that's, that's the kind of behavior that's reflected online in virtual spaces and public spaces in any space, you know? So till we fix mindsets and that's where education is the need of the hour. It's really critical at all levels. We have to be talking about what is appropriate, what is not appropriate and how do we treat people with respect? Not just women, take the farmers protests and so many other things. We don't, you know, the intersectionality matters and all these things we need to um, you know, put it out there and have honest conversations about. Right, rightly said, uh, ma'am. Uh, so before we go into the, uh, the way forward uh, from uh, each of our panelists, uh, we also have uh, Dr. Simi Mehta, uh, who is CEO and Editorial Director of IMPRI uh, to make her comments. Ma'am, over to you. Thank you, Anshula. Thank you, uh, Ms. Elsa. And uh, Ruthi, thank you so much. Nice to meet you again. Uh, Professor Patel, uh, for your comments, and uh, Ishika, and uh, Dr. Sangeeta. Uh, my, my worry or my concern is that uh, we need to uh, we need to partner uh, or the technology needs to partner with the law and order. Uh, or the police, the authorities. 
and unless we are able to do that you know uh, we are able to voice our concerns through safety pin or through safe cities um, but still things are you know almost status quo um, why not uh, why not actually have workshops with these police officers and male police officers make them hear them out what are their points of views because um, experiences have shown that they themselves do not want to get into a case where uh, you know their police station would uh, would uh, come under the ranking that there are a lot of um, you know gender based violence in their in their area so rather they would want that okay samjha bujha kar or you just explain the people explain the women that okay uh, just or or somehow you know you patch up with with your harasser and then go back uh, so that no cases are lodged so we need to uh, empower the male police officers to understand things with a little bit more of a sensitivity and uh, and because uh, you know sexist comments or uh, it is everything is very rampant it is rampant in the parliament from the parliament to the local bodies okay. so we really how much hope do we have with our politicians um, and uh, this again leads to another point as to why aren't there more women in these uh, in these bodies um, law making bodies and and another thing that i would like to point out is that um, how do you uh, you know how do you uh, there are there might be cases that are coming out from within the households people might be pointing uh, pointing on your applications mobile applications etc but Uh, do you have any partnerships with uh, with the police with these authorities as to reach out to them when they need help or uh, or uh, i mean how are you helping out in times of real need uh, that is that is my my another concern so um, basically we really really need to uh, and and of course digital divide as riti has mentioned it is uh, it is rampant and uh, should we just uh, propose as a recommendation that all women whether it is in the rural or in the urban areas who cannot afford a smartphone just that they should be given a smartphone because in our earlier research we have um, advocated and we have made policy recommendations that uh, a basic smartphone is the need of the hour for um, enabling uh, women who do not have this and this can have multiple uh, ripple effects in terms of empowering them not just in terms of their health etc but also for using your applications so why not uh, spend instead of spending at other places of course you can prioritize but why not prioritize this as well so over to you thank you um yes mr sabha you can respond to that so yeah the, that was a lot i think i've forgotten most of it but you know we are one nonprofit we don't have to solve all the problems we can collaborate we know what we are good at and we are you know doing just that bit we have lots of partners so if somebody does reach out to us for help we have partners like majlis for legal aid 
you know, and other law collectives for legal aid. So either they want legal aid or they want counseling, right? So we have partners in both those spaces who we direct them to. And in many cases, even though it's not our mandate, we have helped survivors walk through that journey, especially when they are like 17 years old and it's a family, you know, where the family is involved. But really, I don't believe that one nonprofit should work on everything. And if you take a corporate sector, why is corporate so effective? Because they just focus on what they are good at and then they partner with, you know, many other organizations and that's how it should be. So that's one. And uh, I think the way forward is education, education at all levels. I don't think policing is the only solution, which is why it's very important to understand the context in which crime happens, because it could be an infrastructure issue, not a policing issue. It could be a sensitivity mindset issue, which means you need to change the um, you need to change that. And that can only be done through education and awareness at the very local level, which we've used art, we've used street theater. And I feel, you know, um, not constraining yourself to one particular kind of solution also should be the answer. Because what works in Delhi may not work in Bombay, what works in Bombay won't work in Pune and does not work in Satara, for example. And I found the best way is to let the community decide, tell them what the problem is through the data, which is their own data. Okay, so you're showing them the data that they themselves gave you and then asking them, okay, now you, this is the number one or two or three problems in your community based on your data. How would you like to solve it? And then help them brainstorm ideas. But that way I feel it's more sustainable. It's also low cost because they take ownership of it. And finally, I think, um, you know, we should um, not get fixated about uh, the technology part because we are moving where everybody at some point is going to be uh, technology savvy or digitally literate. And like was already mentioned, when women are trained and when they do have that device, then they can use it. It's not they it's not that they can't use it so there's going to be a little bit of a struggle over there but again technology is not the only solution as well i've forgotten all your other questions so i'm sorry if there's anything specific you want me to answer i'm happy to do so um thank you uh, for your response um so you have incorporated sort of a way forward in uh, your comments. Uh, so we will go uh, for a minute or two to each of our discussions again, Dr. Sangeeta Datta Gupta and Ms. Riti to give their final views and highlight the way forward in their opinion. So Dr. Sangeeta, over to you. Well, uh, I think uh, the way forward, of course, uh, as uh, pointed out by uh, Elsa and uh, Professor Bebuti also, technology is not the only thing. There are other ways also. But yes, uh, going forward, uh, what uh, Dr. Simi was uh, advocating that maybe a smartphone to everyone. I don't. I'm not sure whether that is feasible or not. But maybe through you know uh, the um, council, local councillors. I'm talking about the within urban areas. We are there are enough steps steps being taken to address that uh, problem. Although it's not adequate, I must add. 
but steps uh, right in the right direction being taken. But I will again go back to the rural areas where I think we uh, some uh, uh, focus uh, required. Uh, yes, for that, uh, of course, uh, maybe the through SAGs uh, through local NGOs, I think, uh, uh, I mean, uh, help can be provided. And um, they are actually, as, as I pointed out, they are um, embracing technology. And if that, uh, and uh, as uh, education, I mean, it's uh, uh, women becoming literate. Uh, one thing that will happen, you know, if they uh, become, uh, which I have found out if they are empowered, then they start, you know, stop their daughters from getting married early. They start sending their children. So they will create the generation of uh, literate uh, women who can uh, embrace technology maybe it's a struggle right now but uh, yes uh, going forward maybe uh, we'll um, have a situation where everyone will have access to technology and then uh, the whole process will be very very effective thank you yeah so uh, looking at technology and how how what how much it can do i can i i do agree with elsa that uh, if you only depend entirely on technology, probably uh, that is not possible. And I think over the discussion, we have come through various kind of uh, instances or solutions which can be which can go hand in hand to kind of uh, address the issue. Um, also, uh, uh, what Elsa is saying is I, I completely agree that you know uh, one application or one organization is has a certain kind of strength and they can only work in that area. They cannot do everything. Like what we do, we, we do in a, in, in, in a preventive way of, of addressing this issue. Like if you make the built environment better, then, then there are lesser opportunities of crime or harassment in public spaces. And we uh, don't really look at solving the problem which has right now happened, which mostly uh, firefighting with the police is doing, where the crime has really happened, they kind of look at various ways of solving it. Yes, sensitization, advocacy, all of that is required. So one of the ways also, I wouldn't say that the government and the authorities are not doing anything. A lot of our projects are with the government. And the government only asks us to kind of map the city because by now, at least in Delhi, they have made the connect that infrastructure, the basic infrastructure, and we are like, I like find it so uh, limiting to say every kind of street light, footpath, transport. These are the basic needs of the city. And they have been able to connect this to the issues of access and mobility of women in public spaces. And that's a big gain, really. All this while, all this conversation was not happening. Today, if they're saying, and they have fixed street lights, they've been mapping only twice. Safety Pin has mapped the entire city of Delhi. And once of about 8,000 dark spots were kind of um, detected in the city. And the dark spots, it's now one round of entire street light fixing has happened in the city. And now with the second round of mapping, they found about 2,000 dark spots still there in the city, but it's only in the periphery where earlier mapping had not happened. With the first round of mapping, they have actually fixed most of the street lights of the city. Also, now they're looking at last mile connectivity. They're looking at, you know, how sidewalks can be made more walkable, better, you know, how more eyes on the streets can be added. So I'm kind of, I find that 
every time i'm kind of repeating myself but then these are the main infrastructural issues of the city and like elsa said that it could be an infrastructure problem it could be a you know mindset problem it could be you know a um, i don't know some other kind of an opportunistic problem you know that that can also happen in city the best the best cities in terms of safety and infrastructure also have crimes in it you know not everything is related to that not that we have reached there and not that we should even enter that discussion but yes data collect data talk to authorities and do work in every field it's not only policing yes a lot has also happened in terms of police sensitization you know programs have been run and how to write an fir and things like that all this has happened in delhi today delhi's transport department is hiring i don't really agree with the idea but then they are also hiring this you know yeah uh, these men who who are there in the buses so that as escorts so that you know women have more access to transport that is a stop gap way of doing it but delhi really needs it if you really look at that like delhi's metro if you look at it one bogi of a reserved compartment has given more access to women at you know different times of the day and night if that was not there women would not have gained that access now that more women are visible in public spaces because of one transport system has taken that decision that obviously gives women more confidence in public space gives them more access to job and opportunities and makes you know uh, women you know more visible in public space so that these are the ways you can kind of address the issue it's a slow way of doing it but it's a, it's an effective way of doing it it's a preventive way of doing it so yeah like yeah that so much we can do with our app or technology and and i think we should be kind of uh, happy with what we have kind of uh, you know uh, achieved so far thank you right right thank you so much um so uh, miss al samari would you have anything to add and uh, then we can go for concluding remarks by our chair professor vibhuti patel no i agree with all that was said i think you know rather than trying to uh, only focus on the negative of technology look at what all is possible and especially to make something visible where it is not visible right now uh, also i would encourage you to think of the solutions because uh, policing is not the only solution as well um and also you know many women who don't report because they don't want people to be in jail and we don't have time you know so many jails as well for all those people but what we definitely need to invest in is gender sensitivity and education to say that this is absolutely not right and explain how it uh, hampers women and somebody had asked you know how can we learn from countries so take for example the nordic countries usually have higher gender equality but and they have a higher reporting of crime so it's more visible but i think their numbers are pretty much um, you know representative of the actual so don't be alarmed by that but i can tell you walking in stockholm in the dark never made me frightened so it's not even so sometimes darkness it does not equate to a uh, lack of safety it really is the context you know so you can be on a completely lonely road completely dark and still feel extremely safe but can we say that for our country 
I don't know yet. I'm also from Goa and Goa is like, you know, has pretty, I think, you know, a lot of women in public spaces late at night as well. But I still don't think I could say that of Goa too or Bombay from where I'm, I am. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, Professor Vibhuti Patel, over yeah. to you. Yeah. I think Elsa's presentation has a snowballing effect because so many varied dimensions were discussed right from victim blaming, uh, which also our students will say. And I think in, even in Hyderabad, when the, the area in which there was a massive amount of street harassment, and these girls, they said that when they were blamed by their parents and uh, neighbors, uh, and she said that the Appa, we are wearing Burka, even our toe is not visible and still we are harassed. Okay, so I think that uh, in our education and in our campaigning and even in our training program, we have to highlight that never, never ever girl should feel or a victim should feel that she has invited this thing. Another example is that of a Dharavi, like our girls in Vacha, we work with adolescent girls. They have come up with an app. So anytime they feel that there is a insecure situation, they immediately inform other members in the uh, area so that they, they reach out. So that is also one very effective way of doing because they have been doing relief operations right from month of March. Currently also they have been doing and all the, of them are college girls, junior college girls. Uh, in Palgar, when I, we were in a, a, a very big college with 6,000 students and their women development program had, was on self-defense and women empowerment. The uh, police officer who came in the, for that program, he said that the whole district, there were only five police officers and massive harassment of girls was happening because first time these tribal girls had started going to high school. They had started changing from Nawari, they were wearing gold sari. Some of them were wearing salwar kameez also. And they were also going to college and she said, she can't cope up. They told principals in that college, there were three colleges in the district. And they said, please, or these girls have to use their tongue power, they have to use their lung power, and they have to use their body to, for, to, to look after themselves. And that's why they, they started the self-defense program. So I think that was a very good because uh, 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 Palgar is just uh, 40 kilometers away from the main Bombay city. And that is what happened. Uh, in, in Malad, the students do. Malad also is one suburb of Mumbai where there are six, seven educational institutions in both eastern part and as well as western part. And there was a group of boys who always, during peak hours, they would uh, molest and grow women and they would always stand near the women's compartment and they would do that. So the students group, they decided that they would use their smartphone to take the pictures of this man who were taking and they took the pictures and took out, the, took a printout and they put it prominently in the railway station that these are the molesters. So naming and shaming, it worked uh, so well that uh, they, this boy just, they you know, the whole gang, they just disappeared. So I think, and, and everyone, so uh, I think there are several uh, uh, this programs also have taken place in last 11 months at the initiative of State Commission for Women and uh, National Commission for Women. And the, basically the, the, after all these exercises, the collective wisdom that has emerged uh, like for uh, National Commission and State Commission to control, to, to address uh, gender-based violence uh, in terms of public education, like uh, giving uh, public education about the outcome of this say dark spaces or uh, unsafe areas or the safety audit uh, that is very important. Then in PTA meeting, Parent Teachers Association 
also whether it is in college or in school to discuss this issue of gender based violence so that parents don't blame their own children whenever it is reported because currently all the students whether they are college going students or school uh, going students all of them are so scared to confide in their own family members no because they think that they will be blamed so that is one uh, very important in the through workshop street play poster case studies debates discussion short uh, films i think chopaya had it uh, this thing during uh, their uh, online conference they say ask the students to come up with a two minutes or three minutes of a uh, video film which can also be very educative uh, that is there and advocacy material in local language is very important because most of the material that we have whether it is a training module or a documentary film or a myth versus facts exercise because that's what we have been doing in different colleges to human development cell all is in english uh, some material available because maybe because of jagori or manjari in patna they have come up with some material in hindi but otherwise in other regional languages we don't have material so we have to see to it that the team of with the ngos there and and uh, uh, translate uh, the material or come up with the region specific material that is very important uh, as i think uh, both the uh, discussants also said that we need to have a very regular and consistent police uh, training of the police uh, officers because during 80s and 90s we saw a very concerted effort by the police academy to do the uh, training and so many active feminists and women's movement women's rights activists were invited for the gender sensitization program but in between i think the it it stopped and currently we see so many young police officers using the same type of approach which was which we saw in the late 70s and early uh, early 80s where victim were always blamed i have also seen in cases of uh, harassment by of a young girl uh, where a police officer asked uh, uh accused uh, the asked the victim to tie a rakhi and they said from today he is your brother so that is the kind of approach and i'm talking of a bandra police station okay, in, in bombay so i think we need massive training about the gender based violence and also the cyber crime uh, even after the uh, whole a boys locker room phenomena i think we need to there are hundreds and thousands of such boys locker room so we need to educate and i think all discussants as well as the uh, elsa also emphasize that this training needs to happen at a very young age because our wdc uh, is doing training program when they, their ideas are already formed 19 year old 20 year old reaching out to those uh, men boys and girls ideas are already formed so we need to start this training even at a very very uh, right from preschool so uh, we we have to start this training about uh, respect for bodily autonomy what concept of consent uh, what is the dignity and bodily integrity uh, uh, this kind of issues through examples through role plays we need to Uh, teach them that even before taking somebody's pen or touching somebody's textbook, we take permission. Now here is a human person. How can you uh, do? Uh, how can you behave in such a uh, authoritarian or uh, such a uh, aggressive way? So that is there. And I think all the IT Act. We have a very comprehensive IT Act. Uh, I mean, uh, the uh, but none of the people even. national commission for women uh, when it organizes the workshops for colleges nobody knows about it so i think there is a more public education required about the uh, it act and various types of crimes in that and what kind of punishments are there i think there should be more uh, awareness 
except for cyber cell and cyber cell is also very much overworked because in each city you would have a one or two cyber cell and there is so much of a demand of these officers to train people but i think we need a far more uh, concerted consistent effort uh, in this direction and also uh, like uh, uh, all the advancement in technology that is coming i think about that educational institutions they have to be made aware continuously refresher courses and orientation programs should be organized and the documentation of the types intensity spread and consequences of gender based violence which elsa and her team are doing i think that is really commendable and it's a very important area uh, and i think so that people know the gravity of situation and once we accept that this is a important problem then we also make concerted efforts the way we had done in the 80s and 90s i think there is a need to do that because now the intensity dimension and uh, uh, the consequences of the gender based violence have also expanded and also increased uh, and uh, manifold and that there is exponential increase in the violence and i think we all need to join hands but i think uh, what simi says that we need to work together it's not only isolate in isolation if we work our impact will be limited so we need to uh, uh, first of all among ourselves we need to network and also like the, uh, we have a special interest group so else our special interest group is that of use of technology and demystification of technology making the technology accessible then you are also the question of a safe city safety pins work about the whole uh, creation of a safe spaces within the uh, ecosystem that is very important what uh, dr sangeeta talked her focus on the rural areas and because the crime surgeons adolescent girls in rural areas have increased very much and that too because of the distance between the schools and village or the, that there also on while while commuting also they face uh, so much uh, so, so many uh, aggressive attacks so i think we all need to join hands and also with the criminal justice system and also gender sensitization of judges must be made mandatory because what we said is that it's not only one question of touching the first when the clothes are on in cities she gave three judgments we also saw just couple of years back in one month four judgments in which young girls were sexually abused and the judge said a woman judge she said oh but this boy is only 21 he has a whole whole future in his is uh, will be jeopardized he has old parents to look after he is the bread the only breadwinner on those excuses nobody even paid attention to the pain of a girl and what she has to and what kind of hospitalization she has to face anil avchat study shows that in all cases of gender based violence of a girl or a unmarried girl she has to end up in rehabilitation because family abundance sir and community abundance sir she gets marked so nobody is focusing on the pain of a, of a woman even the criminal justice system so i think we the, we have a long way to go if we, uh, and i think we all have to meet consistent efforts thank you uh, professor vibhuti patel for those insights and so as we come to the uh, end of this deliberation i would like to formally thank all our participants once uh, so thank you to our speaker ms elsa marie de selva for joining us today uh, and uh, delivering the talk on using technology to address gender based violence uh, thank you for sharing your work and experience and insight was truly enriching uh, thank you professor vibhuti patel uh, we were grateful to have you as the chair for this session and uh, you enriched uh, the deliberation with your insights thank you and uh, to our discussants dr sangeeta datta gupta and mr t mandal 
Thank you for joining us and for raising such pertinent points, uh, which would really became the focal points of the discussion. Thank you for joining us. And to everyone who tuned in here on Zoom or on Facebook Live, thank you for joining the discussion and for raising such important questions. Um, thank and you. Yeah. And Shobha's okay. response is she's a veteran feminist. Today she because she could not speak, but I think her presence is very important. Yes, yes. yes. So Makiti, ma'am, of course, yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And we hope you tune into uh, our future episodes of Gender Gaps as well. So have a very good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, Elsa. We'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you.